Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. My message title, as uh, Tash already said, is Half-Truths, Whole God. And uh, who here has ever told a half-truth before? About half of you, the other half are just lying. You're lying in church already. We're not off to a good start. <laughs> That's the half-truth, yeah. So what is a half-truth? Maybe, you know, you haven't heard that you know, terminology before, but it's technically you're telling the truth, but you're telling your version of the truth that you want the other person to know or, or understand. So to give an example, like when... Uh, I might ask my wife how much she spent on shoes. And rather than saying that she spent $70, she'll say that she saved $30. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever had that experience before? Or maybe some of the younger people in, in, the, in the congregation, you might be like, you know, your parents asked you, have you cleaned your room? And you kind of go, well, so that at the at the start of the day, there was 137 things on the floor. And I went in there and, uh, you know, I worked for a good solid minute and a half. And now there's like 132 things on the floor. So I'm going to answer yes, because I did clean my room, sort of past tense, even though it's not clean, because you kind of tell the version of the, the story that, that you want people to know. When people ask you what you did on your weekend... It might depend on who's asking as to the answer you give. You, do, you know, do you know kind of what I mean? So like, you know, if people that, uh, that I know like water sports, if they ask me what I did on the weekend, I might tell them that I went skiing yesterday. Or people that like food, if they ask me what I did on the weekend, I might say that, you know, I had this amazing teppanyaki, you know, dinner last night. And then to the people that I know already love God, I might say that I went to church and worship. So we give different answers depending on who's asking and what truth kind of we want them to know. And even our brain actually actually tries to, to trick us into believing half-truths. So they've discovered that um, if you have... Uh, potato chips because they're they're so thin you know they're, they're cut so thinly if you're eating potato chips uh, particularly if you're doing something else like watching tv or you know talking to someone else while you're eating the potato chips it's like because they're so thin and because your mind is preoccupied with other things it's like you think that you haven't eaten anything and so you can eat the whole thing of potato chips and then still say when someone asks you i haven't eaten a thing all day and so scientifically, they've proved that that is the case, that your brain doesn't actually register, that your brain will tell you half-truths all the time, that we actually voluntarily believe half-truths, that we actually move towards half-truths in our lives. And to explain that further, uh, I want to use this analogy of looking at two different birds. So I think we've got a, a photo up here. So these are two different birds that, that live in this area, in this environment. So we've got a, uh, a falcon and we've got a, uh, a New Holland honey eater there. And both go out into the same 
environment. They both go out into the same area. But because of what they're hungry for, because of what they're looking for, they will actually find and discover different things to consume. So the hawk will find that which is dead and decaying, and that the honey eater will find that which is, is sweet and pleasant. And so you get kind of what you're looking for. You, whatever you're looking for, whatever you're seeking after is actually what you will find. So if you're seeking after a particular version of the truth, you will find it. So my question is, what are you looking for? When you go out into the world, when you go out into your week this week, are you looking for the bad? Are you looking for death and destruction? Are you looking for that which is decaying? Or are you actually looking for something sweet? Are you looking for what is good? Because I guarantee whatever you are looking for, you will find it. The half-truths are there depending on what you're looking for. And in actual fact, this has been exaggerated with the information technology age. And now you know, for those of you that maybe subscribe to, to Netflix or YouTube or, or Stan or Spotify or those different things, that as soon as you make one selection, as soon as you choose one thing and you say, I want to listen to this one song, it's, it suggests, well, then maybe you might want to listen to this song. And then you might want to listen to this song or you watch this TV show and it says, seeing that you've watched this TV show, we think that you like this TV show and this TV show. And soon enough, you're actually, because there's so much information on the internet, because there's so much stuff out there, they're trying to help narrow your likes. But in so doing, they're also narrowing the truth and they're narrowing the field of what you're actually consuming, what you're actually getting in your life. And sadly, that is also happening with the news now that we get and that we receive. So the information age means that we are now living in a world of half-truths. So if you're looking for the perfect pair of black shoes you'll be able to find it on the internet. If you're looking for a conspiracy theory, you'll find it on the internet. If you're looking to buy or sell your car, you'll find a buyer on the internet. If you're looking for an excuse not to take the vaccine or for stolen votes or the reason to fight the government, you'll find what you're looking for on the internet. The media... And the internet are full of half-truths. And when I was working at the university, I um, uh, became more and more specialised in a particular field of study. And they wanted me to keep going and, and do even more study and, you know, focus in even more on the different things that I was, I was doing to do with, you know, chemistry and geology and the different things that I was, that I was studying and, and uh, at one stage working for the university for. But they had a saying there, and maybe you've heard me say this before, as you would specialise and get to know more about a smaller 
uh, field of, of information that you know more and more about less and less until you know absolutely everything about nothing. And kind of that is where we're headed in our world at the moment. That because of the different half-truths that are coming at us, so many people know everything about nothing. But they're convinced because they know everything, because they've got the information, they've seen it on the internet, they're convinced that their information is true and that everything else is wrong. And so it's hard to convince people otherwise. It's hard to convince people of the whole truth because they've become so specialized and so focused that they know absolutely everything about nothing. Which leads us to a very dangerous situation. And again, recently they've just discovered <clears throat> that, that a baby, like the babies that we saw dedicated today, that, that, that a baby can actually make more sounds than an adult. That when we are first <clears throat> born, that our, our mouths and our vocal cords <clears throat> have the ability to make all these different array of sounds like you might hear coming out during the message today. But then as we hear, you know, in our context, as we hear the English language spoken, that because we only hear those particular sounds, that as we go on, we actually lose the ability to make those different sounds because we're not hearing them. And I think the same thing happens in life, that as we stop hearing the voices, that as we stop hearing the, the, the truths about God, that as we take them out, that we actually, that our society, that our world is actually starting to lose the ability to hear the truth when it is even presented to them. And so today, we're going to look at how this impacts our Christian life and our Christian walk, because even within our Christian life, we're susceptible to half-truths. We're susceptible to making a God that we are looking for, that, that, that we want to see, that just like those two different birds going out and seeing only what they want to see and what they want to consume, we too are in danger of doing that with God. Making a God after our image rather than following the true and living God. And when Jesus was on trial, he had these charges that were brought against him and he had to appear before this Roman governor called Pontius Pilate to see if he was guilty or innocent. And so he started to talk about the truth of what happened and so when Jesus is talking about truth, this was Pontius Pilate's response that we read in John 18.38. He said, what is truth? And then it says, Pilate left Jesus. So Pilate, like many in our world today, thought that that was an unanswerable question. 
He didn't even stop and wait for Jesus to reply. He didn't stop and wait for, for anyone to reply. He simply asked the question, what is truth? What even is truth? And then he turned his back on Jesus, the one person that maybe could have brought an answer, that maybe could have brought clarity to it. Because Jesus himself said in John 14 verse 6, he said, I am the only way to God and the real truth and the real life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So the answer to the unanswerable question that Pilate was asking, that our world is asking, was actually standing right before him. That in this case, he couldn't just ask what is truth, but he could have actually asked who is truth. That in Jesus, we see the truth. And so today, we're going to simply look at the cross. We're simply going to look at who God is. We're going to ask that same question that that Pilate should have asked. Not what is truth, but who is truth and who is God? To then see if we can move beyond some of those half-truths that we have believed about God to the true image of God. And I believe that the true image of God is better than all the half-images that people choose to make up and follow in the first place. And when I was writing this this um, message, in my mind I kind of had uh, the the picture of what happened in in First Samuel chapter five. And for those that don't know uh, that passage of scripture, basically what happened was the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence was, was brought in and placed in the temple of Dagon, placed right beside this big statue of of Dagon. And then what happened was they came back in the morning and they found on the ground, I think we've got just an artist's picture of it. When they came back in the morning, even though no one had been in there, they found that the statue of of Dagon, the, the false god, had crashed to the ground and shattered. And what I think is, is that when the presence of God is in the room, our false gods get shattered. And the presence of the living God is in this room today. He's right here to shatter any of those false concepts of God that we've allowed into the temple. Any of those false things that we all have false things in. And my prayer, my hope is today is that some of those false things are going to be shattered. That you're going to leave with those things shattered off your life in Jesus' name. Okay. So for those taking notes, you're going to have to be, it's going to be a little bit fast and furious today because, uh, because I've actually got eight different things, eight different identities, false identities, half-truths that we believe about God. So you're ready? You got your, your finger, you know, ready on the, on the iPad or the, the, the pencil ready to go? So our first one um, is... Our, our half-identity of God is that He is a vast vending machine. 
and I've got a, a passage of scripture for each one. So it says, delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So if God's identity is that of a vast vending machine, then in turn our identity, because when we give God an identity, it in turn gives us an identity. So if God is a vast vending machine, then our identity becomes that of constant consumers coming up to the vending machine. So what we like to do, this version of God, uh, I often come to this version of God in prayer. And I pray to the vending machine God because I come up to the vending machine and I make my selection B3. That's what I want. And then I put in my prayers. I pray and I pray and I hit the, hit the number. This is what I want. And then I sit and I, I wait for the answer to the prayer. I wait for the thing that I selected to come out. And then sometimes it doesn't come out. And who knows that sometimes, you know, kind of the vending machine is broken or you haven't put in the right money. You haven't put in enough money. And so sometimes then I think, well, maybe I haven't given God enough. Maybe I haven't done enough. So then you kind of up the ante a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, okay, God, uh, obviously what I want didn't come out like, so I, I'm going to give you more stuff. I'm going to put more prayers in. I'm going to say, I'm not going to do that stuff that I was doing on the internet. I'm not going to do, like, I'm going to put that in. And that should, that should build up my credit in the kingdom of God. So that then when I hit the button again, it, it, it should come out. But sometimes what we want doesn't come out so why hasn't that worked why isn't I mean it says in the scripture delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart that's my heart's desire so we keep trying to make these deals but God says no I don't make deals I keep promises and it in Psalm 84, verse 11, it says, He gives us grace and glory. It says, No good thing with he, will, will He withhold from those who walk along His paths. So maybe when we're not getting what we've asked for, maybe we've either wandered off the path, or what we're asking for is not actually a good thing. It's not actually the best thing for us. And so this idea, this false God gets shattered when we get a no to our prayers. And so many times we just get frustrated when God answers no to our prayers, when in actual fact, sometimes the no is designed to shatter that false God of him just being a vending machine. So we can actually thank God the next time he answers no because he's shattering that false God of him being a vending machine and us just being constant consumers in our lives. Number two, the second identity that we give God is as a sideline spectator. And Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The Lord sees what happens everywhere. He watches everyone, good and evil. And then our identity, if 
if God is just a sideline spectator, then our identity becomes that of a puppet performer. That we're just puppets. Because we kind of go, yes, the Lord sees, but is He actually going to do anything? He's just sitting there watching good and evil. He's just, why is God just a sideline spectator? That's what we think sometimes. That we feel as though that God is like this 12-year-old kid on a sunny day sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass. And that he's just sitting there watching us burn for his entertainment. That if, if our life was a movie, it's like that God is like Sid in Toy Story and we are just the toys. That's how it can feel in life sometimes when we think that God, all this bad stuff is happening to me, all this stuff is, is going on and you're just sitting there just watching. But the problem with that is, is that it's a half-truth because if I'm completely honest about the pain and the hurt in my life, 90%, I think, of the pain and the hurt in my life is actually caused by me. Yes, there are bad situations. Yes, there are bad circumstances that come up in our life. But then it's how I respond, how I react to that, that perpetuates that cycle of destruction and different things that are going on in my life. And what about the good in my life? When I stop and think about all the good things that have taken place in my life, again, I see that God actually wasn't just sitting there watching, that the good things that have come into my life have been brought in there by God, that He wasn't just sitting back there passive, that He actively was at work in my life bringing me those good things. And so through, through gratitude, that as we think back to all the good things and how God has actually had His hand in our life, then that shatters that idea that God is just a sideline spectator and we are just helpless puppet performers. Which leads us on to number three, that God is a celestial Santa Claus. In James 1.17, it says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from Father Christmas, no, not Father Christmas. But that's what we can think, isn't it? And so then our identity, if God, if our picture of God is that of a celestial Santa Claus, then our identity becomes either naughty or nice. Because God, well, He's making a list. He's checking it twice. Gonna find out who's naughty and nice. So, which list are you on today? Naughty or nice? We kind of want God to be that Santa Claus when we think we're on the good list. Because then we think, well, if I've done good, 
and I'm on the good list, then I'm going to get good. But if I've done bad, then I'm going to get bad. I'm going to get that lump of coal instead of the things that I was asking for. But then I realize that there's sometimes when I've done bad, I've done wrong, and I didn't get coal. I actually got blessed. And then there were other days when I felt as though I was doing everything right, and something bad still happened. And so then I get confused because isn't God just Santa Claus? Isn't just if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. But that's not my experience. Because God isn't Santa Claus. And what about all the people that don't believe in Santa, that don't believe in God, that don't believe that there is one true and loving God who we can actually know, that don't believe in that truth? Well, it says that every perfect gift comes from above. Has there been good in people's lives that don't follow after God? Yeah. We... This morning we saw three precious lives. Every life that has been given is a life that is given by God to precious people. Yet we know just from sheer numbers that most people aren't following after the one true and living God. God still brings blessings into the lives of those that outright reject Him, of those that follow Him, of those that are on the naughty list. And so I'm thankful to smash this idea of who God is because I'm on the naughty list. But God still wants to bring good things into my life and into your life. Number four, you doing all right? Number four, that he is a sanctified security guard. And our passage of scripture to support that one is Psalm 61 verse 3. It says, Lord, you are a paradise of protection to me. You lift me high above the fray. None of my foes can touch me when I'm held firmly in your wraparound presence. But if God is a security guard, then our identity becomes that of a vulnerable victim. And I think we all start off and we we do love this idea of of God being this amazing security guard that he's going to use his his body as a as a human shield and, and jump in front of bullets for us. And that is true, that he did put his body on the line. He did jump in front of sin for us. 
He jumped in front of sin for us. He, he, he took the bullet that was meant for us. He, he jumped in front for us. And so, yes, this is true, but it's only half true because God doesn't want us to stay in that place. He doesn't want us to just be a victim just sitting there. He has called us to be conquerors and more than conquerors in and through His Son, Jesus. Number five, the half-truth is, is that he is a charitable creator. Nehemiah 9 verse 6 backs this up and it says, You alone are the Lord, creator of the heavens and all the stars, creator of the earth and those that live on it, creator of the oceans and all its creatures. You are the source of life. Praised by the stars that fill the heavens. And if he is a charitable creator, then our identity becomes that of a a callous creature. And if you are one of those people that feels close to God when you get out in nature, when you go for a a hike, you know, you go for a bushwalk and you feel close to God, or you you stare out at the the vast expanse of the ocean. You know, you're standing on the top of a cliff, and you you're looking out at the ocean, or looking up at the stars, or looking down at the the tiniest flower and the intricacies and the different things that you can see within that small, minute flower, and you wonder at God. That's great, and it is true. God is our creator, but he's so much more than that. And you are so much more than just a creature. In the 90s, there was kind of this push, and it's still kind of going somewhat today, to remove God as creator through science. But actually, as we discover more about science, as we delve more into it and see just how complex and how fine-tuned life and our universe is, more and more scientists are actually saying that it actually makes more sense to believe and accept that there is a creator. But we can't stop there. Because he's more than just a creator. He's more than just a watchmaker that wound up this watch called creation, that wound up this thing called time, and then just sat the watch down and stood back to see what time was going to do, to see what creation was going to do just in and of itself. No, that's not who our God is. He didn't just set everything up and step back. He set everything up and stepped in. He was a creator that stepped into his creation. That said, you feel hurt and pain? I feel hurt and pain. You feel fear and anxiety? I'm going to feel fear and anxiety. I'm going to... I'm going to step in to my creation. Yes, I am a creator, but I'm so much more than that because I step into my creation. 
Some of you might not have known what that callous word was that I put in front of creature. Callous is something that is unfeeling. That God was just unfeeling, that he was just the creator. If we just encounter him through the universe, if we just encounter him as creator, we're missing out on the fact that he didn't just create and step away, that he created and stepped in, that he made us to feel things and that he decided to feel things, that he is a God of love, that it's not just what he does, it's actually who he is. And so he's, yes, he's creator, but that's only half the story. He's so much more than that, and you are more than just a creature. Number six, we give God the identity sometimes of the big boss. And Colossians 3, it says, Slaves, your job is to obey your masters, not with the idea of currying favor, but as a sincere expression of your devotion to God. Whatever you do, put your whole heart and soul into it, as into work done for God, not merely for men, knowing that your real reward, a heavenly one, will come from God since you are actually employed by Christ. And if we give him the identity of big boss, then our identity becomes that of weary worker. Because there is always work to be done. And yes, it is true that God is like a boss. There is some truth in that. And yes, there is a truth that there is work to be done. There is work that God has specifically for you. That yes, you are his employee at one level, but it is only half true because he not only gives us our tasks, he not only gives us our assignments, and he not only gives us wages at the end of the week, but he actually gives us grace. He gives us the grace that we need to complete the assignment. Now, some of you may think that my job is just to come up here on Sundays and try to find words that start with the same letter to kind of, you know, entertain you all. But really, my heart is, is that I want your life to be better, both here, but most importantly, in eternity. And so I will take any opportunity that I can to help make someone's life better. And so this week, I helped two of our young adults get jobs. And one of those young adults, when they went to work this week, they worked all week long and they got paid nothing. They were employed by a, a relatively new business that isn't yet making money and so the boss couldn't afford to pay them any profits because there was none. 
And so you can imagine that even though I helped this person get the job, that then every day I had to check up on them and make sure that they were still going to go to their job again today because, because they weren't getting paid, they didn't want to keep going. But then the other person that I got the, the job for, they were actually given two weeks' pay in advance of them even turning up for the first day of the job. And you can imagine that it was a whole lot easier for that person to get up and go to work in the morning. I think God is a lot more like the second boss, if he is even a boss. Because he actually... Unlike the world who only gives us based on what we've done at the end of the week, based on how we've performed and the different things that we've done, God actually gives us grace at the beginning. So my question to you is, what kind of boss would you work better for? And some of you are already thinking, I'd like to work for the second boss and take the money and then it kind of doesn't matter what I do for the rest of the week. I might sleep in, I might do whatever because I've already got my money. And yes, sometimes people abuse the grace of God. Sometimes people take the grace of God for granted. Sometimes I take the grace of God for granted. But when we realize that that boss who gave that worker the money in advance had to take that money out of his own pocket, all of a sudden, again, we have gratitude. Then when we realize that when God gives us grace in advance, it's like he took it out of his own pocket, or rather out of a spear in his side or whips across his back that he paid in advance with his very life for you. But then all of a sudden you don't want to take the grace of God for granted. And when you understand that, you see that God is not approaching you as a boss because a boss would never do that. And so when we see that he doesn't approach us just as weary workers to do his bidding, that he approaches us as his beloved, all of a sudden it smashes that image of God as a boss and we will stop approaching him that way. Number seven, we give God the identity of just judge. And again in Psalm 7.11, it says, God is a righteous judge, a God who is angry at evil every single day. But if he is a just judge, then my identity becomes as a guilty guy or a guilty girl. God is a just judge. But then 
I am guilty of breaking the law. So all of a sudden, again, I don't want to move towards him. I want to move away from him and the judgment that I deserve. But then people want to smash this idea of God as a just judge. And they want to smash the idea of this everlasting torment of eternity in hell. Because, I mean, how could a just judge ever send someone to hell for eternity? I mean, if I stole a packet of chewing gum, if that was my crime, I can then pay $2 or whatever the, the chewing gum is worth, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm back to, to zero. My, my, my debt has been paid for. But there's an end to my payment. And even if it took, like, I know I've done some bad stuff, but surely, you know, if I was to work for like 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, it doesn't matter. There should still be an end to my payment if he's a just judge. And so people want to smash this idea and say, no. The truth is, there is no such thing as eternal judgment. We don't want to talk about hell in church. We don't want to talk about any of that stuff because it can't be true. He can't be a, a just judge and send people to hell for eternity. Unless, what if I stole something worth more than $2? In order for him to be a just judge and in order for there to be eternal judgment, it means that there must be something of infinite worth. There must be something of infinite worth to God. And we've been looking all day today about how God's identity is then matched to my identity and how the punishment must fit the crime. And so what if there was something? What if this just judge, what if this God actually loved something and placed infinite value upon something? And what if that something was me what if that something was you so now all of a sudden we're in this catch 22 aren't we because all of a sudden if if i'm here and i'm of no worth then my guilt has no consequence so i get off scot free and i don't have any consequence but I'm of no worth. And then as my worth increases until I'm of infinite worth, then I become infinitely guilty and deserving of eternal judgment. And how do I choose between the two? How do I work out what, which one of those should, should I want? 
Because, I mean, I say bad things to other precious people that God made in His image and likeness. And I have bad thoughts about myself and about my worth. And so the more value God places on me, the more judgment gets heaped upon me. And so we can think as though we're stuck in between these two things, but that's not the whole truth. Because lastly and finally, God's full identity is that of King's cross. Yes, he is a king, but he's a king on a cross that he stepped into creation, that he saw all the naughty people, that, that as that security guard, he wanted to step in. He, he, had to, he had to do something. He didn't want to leave us in that situation, stuck between devaluing our worth or heaping on guilt and judgment. He had to create another way, and so he became a king, but a king on a cross. And in Colossians 2 verse 10, it says, For he is the complete fullness of deity. He's the complete fullness of God. That when we look upon the cross, that we, when we look upon Jesus, we see God in his completeness. That this is the true and complete picture of God. The complete fullness of the deity living in human form. He didn't step back, he stepped in. And our own completeness, our identity is now found in Him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. So our identity becomes that of sinner saved. Now we may not like that, that second half of God's identity. We like the fact that He's a king and that He's powerful. But we don't like the fact that this happened. That this happened for me. That this happened for you. That he was put on a cross. We want to deny the truth of that. And then we want to deny the truth of the fact that we are sinners. And so again, we try to shift that rope like I was talking about two weeks ago. We, we want to try and shift that line and, and make it so that we are not sinners anymore. We want to try and deny our identity, the, the truth of, of who we are. But only when we accept that we have sinned, that we were sinners, can we move on and talk about that in past tense and say that we were sinners, but now we have been saved that this is our identity, that this is our new identity because Christ identified with us. He identified with humanity and He came. He did something. He didn't just leave us in that quandary, that He allowed us to keep our infinite worth and our infinite love, but He took the punishment and the guilt Himself upon that cross so that now our identity can be that of saved. So my simple prayer for you today is that you'd leave this place knowing this truth. So the whole truth about me is I'm more broken 
and sinful, then I care to admit. But the whole truth about the cross proves that I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. So would you like to stand? And I'm praying that this morning that some of those idols are going to be smashed in Jesus' name. That if you were to identify one of those things, one of those ways that you have viewed God, one of those half-truths that you've believed about God, I wonder which one you identify most with. Can we take our eyes off of that picture of God and see Jesus upon the cross? And as we look at Jesus upon the cross, we see the fullness of God. And for the first time, you will know who you are, that you are dearly loved. You are infinitely loved but that you are also eternally accepted and not condemned. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that the cross of Jesus gives us our true identity, shows us our true worth. So Lord, I pray for anyone in here that has had false pictures of you, that has believed half-truths about the Word of God, that has just read the passages that are nice, that agree with what they want to say. But Father, when we look on the ugliness of the cross, Father, we also see the beauty of our salvation in and through the cross. So, Father, come by your power. Come by your spirit. Come and smash those idols as we look to you and as we look to the finished work of Jesus upon that cross, that he is truth and that he wants us to know him and to see him and allow him to step towards us today. So, Father, come that we may be sinners that have been saved and saved eternally by you. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.